It is really nice to be here and see everyone. And those of you online, it's great to be with you. Um, as Mike said, I'm originally from the UK, actually. I'm married a South African. Isn't the best thing in the world to marry a South African? <laughs> means my means I'm here. It means my children are South African. The only downside is in the Rugby World Cup, it was three against one on our couch, and they won. <laughs> I try to encourage my boy to support England, but he just won't. He just says, Dad, I want to be on the winning side. So, uh, And it's, it's really awesome to be here. I mean, you've got all the beauty. We've, we've got the gold, I suppose, in, in Joburg. We're actually in Benoni. I don't know if you know that the Joburg, it's like um, there's a south round, the west round, the east round. We're in the east, the very east. We get to the edge of the city, and then you, you get the green fields. And we're just on the tip of the green fields. We, we feel like we're, we're in a city, but not really. And uh, really enjoying it there. We've got two congregations. We planted one in, in lockdown. So we planted it into Boxburg to reach the, the, the guys there. And there's a neighboring suburb to us in Benoni. We've been going about eight years. And um, Michelle and I were called to, to take over the leadership in 2020. January, we arrived all fresh and ready to go. Three months later, the whole country locked down. We didn't know anyone in our church, and we're a very community church. Everyone knows each other. They bry. They're like, who are this for? We can't, we can't even meet them because of lockdown. I had to switch to video and all that sort of fun thing. So it was quite a baptism to, to get started, but we're actually loving being there, and we're excited to be part of Advance. We had the Advance conference this week. Really awesome. Luke got an incredible prophetic word. Um, I just want to say you've got an awesome... Uh, team here really you have but it, it was just amazing to see Luke being honored because God was saying through the guy speaking that he's going to send him around the world to preach and you know, you know I just want to say you've got such a great leadership team here you often don't know what you've got until you miss it and beauty isn't it you don't know until you go to the UK whoever the guy was speaking earlier you know you come back and think, wow South Africa is so nice we have some people thinking I'm thinking of going to the UK I'm like don't go there <laughs> I, I've escaped. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, this morning, let's, let's get going. Um, I'm here to talk faith. I was praying about it, and God said, oh, speak about faith. And I want to ask you a question. Who are you trying to impress at this moment in time? I know it's going to be somebody. See, all of us want to make an impression somewhere. It might be a boss at work. You want to impress on him or her so you can get extra salary, extra, extra promotion, more responsibility. Maybe in the dating phase of life and you want to impress that person that, that you're trying to catch their eye. Have a look around the room now. You can maybe see someone. <laughs> Parents, you know, want to make an impression on their kids. I want my kids to know Jesus. I want to impress on them the importance of faith and the importance of knowing Jesus through the whole of their life. I want to confess, though, I was a bit of a teacher's pet at school, and I want to impress my teachers. I was an annoying kid. You know, the bell's about to go. You want to just get out of there. You've got your bag packed, pencil cases in the bag, ready to go. And then that one kid puts his hand. That was me. <laughs> he asked that extra question, like, shut up! <laughs> Look, I know now, but I didn't know then. So I, I was oblivious to it all. I was like, I ask a question, and everyone's like, So I... I loved sort of getting the attention and people saying, well done, you're getting good marks in exams and people saying, wow, you've done so well. And, you know, that was what motivated me. I wanted to impress my teachers. I wanted to impress my, my parents with my results. I was, I actually got straight A's in my final matric exams in the UK's A-levels. And then, you know, everyone in life peaks at some point. And I think I peaked at high school. <laughs> and, then, and then I'm done now. So. 
<laughs> I don't know when you're going to peak, but let, let it be beyond that. But I realized as I got to university that there's just something more than impressing with results, impressing teachers and parents, because they don't follow you around your life going, well done. You know, you get to university, your first job in the place, no one's saying well done anymore. And I realized it's, it's not going to work. I need to impress someone who will always be with me. And I realized I want to impress Jesus. Because... Let's be honest, any exam you want to pass is the exam at the end of your life. All of us will have to sit. I hope you know that. We know we're saved by grace, yes. We're still going to sit in an exam. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment. Just a very innocuous sort of title. <laughs> it's there in Revelation 20. You can read about it. The great news is if you trust in Jesus, there is no punishment for what you get wrong. But there's going to be rewards for what you get right. Absolutely incredible. But all of us have to stand before Jesus and give an account for what we did in our life, whether good or bad. We'll talk about a little bit of that later, because I want to just talk about some of our heroes now in Matthew chapter 8. He's an unlikely character, because I don't know if there's any Jewish people here or any Jewish descent. The majority of us here are, are Gentiles, I assume. And this is a Gentile person in the Bible. I want to, I want to talk about him. It's Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 13. Says this, when he had entered Capernaum, so Jesus had, had, had got to Capernaum, it's a small little fishing village on north of Galilee, is where Matthew came from, and Peter had a house, and later the early church met in Capernaum, or Capernaum, I don't know how you pronounce it, no one does actually. The great thing about Bible terminology, no one knows how they're pronounced, you just say it confidently, and everyone will believe you. <laughs> uh, it says this, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Isn't that just incredible words from Jesus? That's what you want to hear, isn't it? But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. That was the day, hey, when everyone did what you said. <laughs> Sometimes, I used to work in IT and just, it's very different to the army. And I've never been in the army, but in the army, everything happens. But at work, sometimes you have to persuade people, things go wrong. And this centurion knew what it was like to say, do that, and it got done. But the, listen to verse 10, it says, When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one else in Israel have I found such faith. Isn't that incredible? I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a joy and there's a warning. But unto the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed. At that very moment. Just take a moment to pray. Jesus, we thank you that you're still alive today, that you're living gloriously in heaven. The body you came to earth in, the same personality that touched people and healed people, you're doing that today. We're so grateful for this, this example we find here of the centurion. Please let us just have similar faith to him. Amen. 
Now, you need to understand a little bit about the background, just the magnitude of what happened, because you can read it quickly and think, oh, that's cool, nice story. So what's happened is Jesus just on the mount. He's an established rabbi, and he's traveling around um, Israel. He's got his taladim, which were the followers a rabbi had. So everyone could see this is a rabbi, because he had these 12 guys following him and the many women as well. And everywhere he went, there would be a sort of... Um, buzz because the rabbis in town, the, the synagogue have rabbis come and teach, wandering teach. The difference was that this rabbi grew, drew crowds. Mirrors happened. The people got delivered from, from demons. The sick got healed. The blind even saw. And entering his path, a Roman centurion, a Gentile, a non-Jew. Now I'm sure you're aware the centurion was a rank in the army. How many men did a centurion have under him? 100, yes. That's it's the Roman name for a hundred. It's where you get um, a century from, a centurion. He had a hundred men under him. And he wasn't a guy to be messed with. You know, in Roman, Roman times, a soldier could command you to walk a mile, and you had to do it. And a centurion had a hundred of those guys under him. They were the occupying force in Israel. No one liked the centurions. No one liked the Romans, because they, they were oppressing them. They had power of life and death. And here comes a centurion to Jesus. Now, in, if you read in Luke's condition, we get a bit of background guy. He's not just any old centurion. He's actually showed a lot of kindness to the Jews in his area. And they, they said to this in, in Luke chapter 7, it says, This man deserves to have you do this. He's got a bit of support from the Jews. Because he loves our nation, he's built our synagogue. This is the synagogue in um, Capernaum. It's still standing to this day. I mean, as beautiful as it probably was back then, it's a ruin. This is what he built 2,000 years later. It's still standing. Now, Jesus said, okay, I'll come to your house and I'll heal your servant. Now, it's, it, can you picture the scene of the rabbi with his team following the crowds, leaving the Jewish part of Capernaum and going to wherever the Romans live, because they live separately. And he'd have to go to the house you know, with the columns and all the purple and stuff. And he'd have to, and he'd, when he left, he'd have to richly cleanse himself because he'd been contaminated by going to this Roman's house. And the Jews were even whispering, well, why is he going to a Gentile's house? Don't you just know that there are enemies? Now, I, I trained as a medical doctor before. I'm a, a pastor. That was my job in the UK. And I once interned at a Jewish GP practice. And we, we got there, and there was a strange kitchen because there was a microwave on that side of the room, a microwave on that side. And I've got a picture here of a typical Jewish kosher kitchen. And you separate the meat from the, the milk. You can't have the two together. But in this GP practice, the Gentiles couldn't use the Jewish micro microwave. So we were told which microwave we're allowed to use because they were kosher Jews, and they had to keep themselves separate from us Gentiles. So that practice has been going on for thousands of years. This is what Jesus was living in. He would contaminate himself by going to a house. But before he gets there, he to get there because what happens is the Roman centurion comes to him. Or in, in, in Luke's account, it's one of his servants. But it's the same thing. The, the commander says to Jesus, you don't need to come. Just say the word, it'll be done. And this is the part that takes Jesus aback. Isn't it incredible? I'll be the person that causes Jesus to marvel. Verse 10. 
When Jesus heard this, he marveled. Isn't that incredible? Because this Gentile Roman soldier understood about the kingdom of God more than all, all the Jewish crowds that surround him, being grown up in the scriptures from, from a young age, from all his taladim. Jesus said he understood faith better than them. This is the, he doesn't know this, but the centurion has just had his best ever day in his life because um, Paul said in the book, writing of the Colossians, he said, Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things. And that person just marveled at his faith. If Jesus can be surprised, he was. He says this to the crowd, Truly I tell you that with no one in Israel have I found such faith. What a commendation. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west, reclining at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, once a Jewish teacher starts naming Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you're in the big league. This is, this is huge. And here we were, this Gentile Roman guy being placed alongside Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob. It's incredible commendation. And this is the great news for every single one of us here. Here we are on the tip of Africa. The good news has been spread for 2,000 years. And every Gentiles get ever chance to make Jesus marvel. When I was 22, I was part of my medical degree. You get to go anywhere in the world as you do an exchange program for three months and you write to a university, a med school, and you go there. And all my friends went to here in America because they wanted a chance. They do two weeks out of the 11 weeks and they go and party. But I was like, God, where do you want me to go? I want to do what you want to do. Because at this point in my life, I was learning. I want to, I want to impress Jesus. He's the guy that I want to say, well done. And I, was, I, I didn't know where to go. And I was sitting in worship at a conference one time and just I saw a map of Africa come down and the place Ghana lit up in green and I knew God was sending me there and so I, I wrote to um, we had a, a church network at the time I was in New Frontiers which Advance was born out of and I wrote to the guy in Ghana I said please can I come and I wrote to the med, med school it all worked out and I, I, was, I was there and we had this it was next to the med school this football field and during, during the day, it was people playing soccer. At night, it turned into a prayer field. So I went down and I joined all the Ghanaians praying. And there are, there are such a praying people. It's incredible to see. And this guy comes up to me and says, I saw a vision and I saw you holding onto a book and a crowd around you. And people read your book and they were healed. And I was 22 years old and never written a book. I never, I think, prayed for anyone for healing at that point. God said, I'm sure you've had prophecies over the years, over your lives. Sometimes they can fade from view and you forget them. Sometimes you don't know what to do with them. Fifteen years later, God said to me, start writing your book. I was like, well, how does it work? No one knows me. <laughs> how can I publish a book? But you know, if God has said something, it's going to happen. If, when Jesus said to the centurion, he's going to be healed. If God speaks, that ignites faith in your heart. And so I started writing the book, and I thought, well, I better get a, a, an agent. So I wrote to an agent in America, and I thought, well, let's go for America, because that's where Christian audience is. And then the, uh, an agent took me up. He said, okay, cool. Um, I had to write the first three chapters, and he said, let's go. And then he said, I'm going to write to the top eight publishers in America. Um, and I got seven rejections straight away, because no one had heard of me. I mean, why should they? 
And I was praying about it, and I, I said, God, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. And again, I prayed, and I saw a vision of America. And this time I saw the northeast coast light up. And I felt God say, I've got a publisher for you there. But it, it's funny, sometimes God speaks, and we doubt. And I, I stopped writing the book because I thought, actually, it's not that reasonable. It's... And then a few months later, I got a letter from a northeast coast publisher saying, we want to publish your book? Uh, but can you do it in three months? <laughs> and I wish I'd carried on writing. Because <laughs> at that point, I had to quickly get the book done in three months. So I was riding through the night. We had a little, little son, and he was by the side of me. And while he's awake in the night, I'll be tapping away. And, and it, but what God said happened, happened. And it's incredible. When God speaks, faith is about believing God and saying what he says will come true and acting if it's going to come true. And there's a battle sometimes. God speaks and then we, we doubt. That's okay. Because faith is about what you act and what you do. The rest of the message, I want to just look about how you cultivate. Because it's not your background, it's not where you live in the world. It's not the family you're born into, how much money or how much money you have. It's, it's how much faith you have. That's the thing that will impress Jesus in this life. And you may say, look, I'll never have lots of faith. But God can speak. And God can give you faith. In the kingdom of God, faith is the currency. But there's no point in me telling you this if you're not first bought into the idea that you want to impress Jesus above everything else. Ahead of your boss. Or as my daughter says, ahead of your crush. She loves talking about who's, who her crush is. She's in grade one. Or two, actually two, yeah. Head of impressing Luke Harper or anybody else in this room, you've got to say, I want to impress you, Jesus. Do you want to have a shot at causing Jesus to marvel? Has anyone watched the film Notting Hill? It's, a, yeah. it's an old film now. It's, we, Michelle and I have watched it loads of times. It's, I love it. Um, but there's this great scene, scene in the movie, if you know the movie, where um, they have a chance that, to win the last brownie. And everyone has to tell a story of why they're most deserving, having the most sort of pitiful life ever. And uh, they go around the table, and then, but sitting at the table is a, a movie star, and she's worth $50 million in the last movie. And no one gives her a shot because they don't think her life could be terrible. And she says, Can't I at least have a shot at it? If you know the story, she, she, <laughs> she wins by saying how difficult her life, life is. But you may be thinking here today, look, I, can, I don't get visions, I don't, God doesn't speak to me. But the most wonderful thing about the kingdom of heaven is whatever your life is, it doesn't disqualify you. Whatever your past is, it doesn't, doesn't stop you from having a shot at causing Jesus to go, wow. And to do that, you need to understand faith. And I want to confess, for many years, I didn't really understand faith. I knew the term I'd heard of it, but I didn't really get what it was. You need to get what it is to then, to then have it. So I want to ask you, how would you define faith this morning? Now, I'm sure you, some people, if they know the Bible, will go to Hebrews 11, says this, Now, faith is insurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I read that, and I was like, it doesn't help me. It doesn't help me. What, what is faith? So I want to give you the faith for dummies definition. Just very simply, this really helped me. Faith is acting, it's an action you take on a belief in something you can't see. 
That's faith. Faith is when you live as though what you believe and can't see is true. In faith, you do. It's not something you believe. Faith is something you do. Let me give an illustration. Because everyone in the world has faith. It's just who you have faith in. So Michelle and I flew here from Joburg. Every time you get in a plane, you have faith that the engineers who built the plane know what they're doing. You have to have faith that the laws of physics remain in place and that they're accurate. Because it's weird, isn't it? If you've ever been on a plane, you're in this metal, hunk of metal in the sky, and some, you don't know how it works. No one knows, but no one studies aeronautical engineering anymore, or it's a specialized thing at university. I haven't studied it. I don't, my friend had to teach me about the, how, how the wing generates thrust and stuff with the, using, the, using the curvature of the wing. I don't know anything like that. All I know is I go on the plane, the plane works. I have faith in something I cannot see. But the first time you're on a plane, it's pretty scary. Who's, who, who remembers that f- if you had the f- luxury of being on a plane? Everyone does. But if you've been on the plane for the first time, do you remember that first time? You're sitting in the seat and is it going to off? I used to, we used to come down to land and I'd look out the window and I'd pray that the flaps open. <laughs> and and we'd, we'd come to this halt and I'd be like, as soon as we stopped, we're like, phew. You know, we, the flaps opened and we stopped. Because it's weird. But as you do it more and more and more, it gets easier and easier and become nonchalant. That's, that's faith in action. The more you do something, you're trusting something you can't see, the more it becomes normal. That's the kingdom of God for us. The first time you step out in faith, it's scary, but it becomes normal and every day, eventually. It's, and then... You go on a plane and turbulence hits. You ever been in when the plane is... Can you relate to this? I was flying to America and they said, Please be in your seats. The, pastor, the, the captain has decided there's going to be some turbulence. And you're like, what's turbulence? And you put your seatbelt on and the plane goes... <laughs> and you're like, I'm going to die! <laughs> and the thing is, like, it's hectic. And then it happened again and it happened again. Eventually, like, oh, it's just turbulence. But the first time, it's like scary because you cannot, you don't know what's happening. You have to have faith. The captain, he or she knows what they're doing. All of us have faith. But what makes the centurion special? He had faith in Jesus more than anything else. He could have gone to physicians. He could have gone to different uh, types of healers. He chose to go to Jesus and said, my faith is in him for this. I want to ask you, what things do you have faith for at the moment? You see... What it boils down to, Christian faith is about living your life as if everything Jesus said is going to happen. It's how you act. At university, we, we wanted a Christian union wanted to do, like, do a 24-7 prayer. I don't know if you've done those. where you, you Around the clock, you sign up every hour of the night. Someone's praying. In a event, you need a venue that's open 24 hours, 7 days a week. And we were like, we're going to do this. And we're praying. And I felt like I've got a venue for you. So I went to the look. I feel God saying he's got a venue for us. And he goes, great. And so he was like chilled now because God spoke and we've got a venue. And I, I, a few days went by, nothing happened. And like, it was like a few days until we started the thing. And I was like, did I hear God? And, and I started to doubt and I thought maybe I just made it up. And, but then like a few days before, the Salvation Army said, you can have our venue. And I went to the, the guy who's leading. I said, how? How are you so confident to ask them? He said, well, you heard God. <laughs> I said, yeah, but I was doubting. He said, it doesn't matter. 
You heard, I acted. Faith is acting on what God says. It doesn't matter if you're down. You see, think about it. Christians are called to live a holy life. And we do that in faith, not knowing if we're ever going to be rewarded. My daughter, she's quite cute, she said, what happens if we get to heaven, different God there, <laughs> instead of Jesus? <laughs> you know, I learned about the Egyptians as a kid, you know, the, the God of Cyrus. What if, what if we pitch up and there's a Cyrus? We're like, oh, flip. <laughs> we spent all this time worshipping Jesus and then it's the Egyptian God of Cyrus, you know. And I had to say to look, that is possible. It's a poss- not against the rounds of possibility. That's all she wanted to hear was that I'd thought about it and I was okay about it. And I pressed on. And we, but we believe it's Jesus and that's who we worship. You see, it's much easier to, to live as if God doesn't exist. Think about telling the truth. As Christians, God calls us to tell the truth. It's actually quite hard to tell the truth all the time. You try doing that. But in faith, we pursue it. I mean, it'd be much easier to be like Donald Trump. And I think, I think the, the New York Times recorded every time he lied in office. And they had this huge list website. He lied for every day he was in office. There was some little lie. It's much easier to live in a lie, to lie to people. It's just, but it's not easier. Because at the end of the life, we have to account for what we've done. And our lies catch up on us. See, once you see something, though, you don't need faith. You can meet the engineers who built the plane. They teach you everything. You don't have faith that the plane's built well. And there's going to be a point in the future when we don't need to have faith anymore. As believers, we'll see everything, we'll know everything as it is. Our time for having faith will have come to an end. And it's going to be wonderful. But this is the season to have faith. You'll, you can never do it again. So why not pursue faith? Try to understand faith. Now if you're a Christian here, you have what's called saving faith. Have you heard the word saving faith? It's not in the Bible, but it's a theological term that says you've got enough faith to enter the kingdom of heaven. The, the thief on the cross, one of them cursed Jesus. The other one said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That guy had a saving faith. He had enough faith to, to be with Jesus forever. And it's really commendable if you're here today and you're saving faith. Because it's tough. There's the enemy wants to attack and challenge your faith. And you have to and know that it's not Osiris, it's Jesus in heaven. But this is the basic faith. This is entry of faith into the kingdom. There's, there's faith beyond that. This is what the, the Jorian had. Because saving faith gets you past the great white throne of judgment in Revelation 20. But it, have you ever known that it's, we talk about I'm saved. Have you ever heard anyone say I'm saved by the blood of the Lamb? It's a past tense thing. But actually refers to a future tense date. In the future, you will be saved. That's what the Bible says. You are saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. Because actually, the actual saving point happens in the future when you're condemned for your, your just actions that were wrong. You're condemned to death, and Jesus said, but I've already done it for you. I've rescued you. So we're actually, we say we're saved, but actually only futurely saved, if that's a word. I don't know. Now, I grew up, we sang the national anthem, and I know this week the, the Queen died, and she's a polarizing figure. Some in Africa see her as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a, what's wrong with colonialism, others inspired by her faith. But I want to I tell this story. We sang the national anthem, and it starts by saying, God save the Queen. And I believe God answered our prayers. I don't know if you know her story, um, but she said this in 
2011. It says, History teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness, from our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a savior with the power to forgive. I think God answered our prayers. But this is just base level entry faith. The centurion in our passage had gone beyond that because we know that. Jesus said, you'll be with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But that wasn't the faith that impressed Jesus. The faith that impressed Jesus was that if he just said the word, he'll be healed. He didn't have to go all the way, lay hands. If Jesus just said, he'll be healed. The centurion said, that's good enough for me. I know it's going to happen. See, that's what makes faith so powerful, is you take Jesus at his word, even though there's no evidence for it. He demonstrated he understood the spiritual realm. Jesus was in charge of sickness and death, and he could just speak, and it would happen. He understood military authority. He knows that if he spoke, it would happen. And even though he couldn't see the mechanics of happen, he just know if Jesus spoke, that it would happen and his servant would get healed. Having faith like that takes time to grow. I don't, you don't suddenly get that. The centurion wouldn't have just got this. We see he's got a life of being generous to the people of God because he knows that's the God he must serve. Faith is like a muscle. It takes time to grow. You do, and you exercise and it grows and it grows. So I want to ask you, where are you at in your faith for believing God to, to do something? Some people have incredible faith for God to provide. You, you met those people. They just talk about, how oh, just I'm trusting God. People, they've lived their life without a salary, trusting God for, for money, and they, God provides. And Some just give away lots of money because they know that God will just provide for what they need. But this starts by cultivating Stepping out in, taking a risk, giving away a small amount, seeing God come through. I remember at university, God challenged me just to, to step out and learn a bit of faith for giving. And so I, I gave quite a bit of money secretly to someone, and then I just trusted that God provide for the money I needed. But you've got to hear God. You learn that sometimes you don't hear God, you, you give it, and, it, and then you're like stuck. <laughs> Ever done that? It's, you want to have faith in God, not faith in presumption. And it's a hard journey to find out if you heard God or not. Some people have given to help others cross the line of faith. They just know that if they reach that person, they walk across the street, speak to them, God's going to save them. Though I was hearing a story of John Wimber, who founded the Vineyard Church. He was speaking at a conference. Guy said, it's easy to talk about faith in a conference. Can you show me what you mean? He said, sure, let's go to McDonald's. So he, he, he walked across the road, and as he entered McDonald's, he, he just felt, so that lady over there, go speak. He said, like, come, let's, let's go and introduce ourselves to this lady. He said, what? He said, yeah, no. He said, hi, my name's John. This is my friend. So we're just here. We want to tell you about Jesus. Do you mind if we sit down? And the friend was gobsmacked that it was just that simple. But John had cultivated a life of faith. As he, he said, as he walked into McDonald's, he felt God highlight this, this lady. If you'd gone to another table, it probably would have been like, go away, I'm eating my meal. But this lady was ready to hear what God has had to say. 
He cultivated a life of hearing God, acting on faith, getting a track record. So it wasn't nervous anymore. Like that first time you got on a plane, it wasn't nervous. He'd done it many times. It just became normal. And that's the journey you must go on as believers. It gets easier and easier to step out in faith. Often then God raises the bar a bit and makes, okay, you've, you've achieved level one, let's go to level two. But that's what God wants for us. He wants to be anxious the whole time thinking we're going to step out and it's going to, he wants to be children of God, that hear our Father's voice and God's got us. First time I prayed for, first time I prayed for someone to be delivered, I remember thinking, what if the demon doesn't go? And I saw this picture with like me like a two-year-old kid going, go. But behind me was this towering giant of a father who just said, do what he says. Faith is knowing that God's your dad. If he calls you to do something, he's backing you up. You, your voice may draw, but the voice of God thunders. This is my son. Do what he says. Some people have faith to receive jobs. We, in this church, in our previous a bit of a track record. Lockdown's terrible. We've had people lose jobs. and we've, we've stretched our funds to help people pay rent and stuff like that. But I was like, we've got to stop this. We've got to get people jobs. We started praying for jobs. But a guy from the DRC, he was 50 years old. He got retrenched in lockdown. Every month he was struggling. We, we, we paid his rent for a couple of months, but we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And out of the blue, another pastor said, hooked him up and got him a job. We've got this couple that came to our church and he had an epileptic fit the first Sunday. We went to him, we prayed for him, we prayed for healing for his epilepsy in a way. But they still had no job. So they were healed from the epilepsy, now he could get a job. And we, we prayed. It took a few months, but he got a job. His, he got a job. We still supported the family with food packages because it wasn't enough. And we prayed for her. She had a call center background experience. We prayed for a job in the call center. It came through. In, a, in our little life group, we prayed. A guy got retrenched as a pill beater. He didn't want to do. We, we prayed. So he decided to start his own business. I thought it was risky. <laughs> in lockdown, he started building. He said, I, I know how to build. He started building. We prayed. We said, how's it going? We prayed some more. He said, I need some clients. And, and now he's doing amazing. He's paid off all his debts. God's come through. Had a, a guy who'd had a history of addiction and got free. He came and said, I need a job. We prayed. God came through. You build a track record. So now I have a great faith to pray for people for jobs. Because I've seen it. God do it last, last 18 months. I've seen. So when people come and say, I need a job, like, let's go. We've built the muscle. And you'll grow the muscle in what you step out in faith for. God's speaking to you about growing faith. Can you see how it works? You cultivate, you ask God, you pray, you trust God, you keep praying. One of the guys said to me, look, I've got to work. And you told me that I should move out from my family and get this flat. I said, yeah, I did, but the pressure's not on me. I know you're feeling the pressure. Let's just pray. It was a complex situation. He had to, he had, it sort of had to be done. But he sort of put it on me. He said, well, you told me. I said, let's pray. It's not my pressure. It's God's pressure. And we prayed. And God came through. That's the God we have. Maybe you've had failures in the past. 
and felt, I can't trust God anymore. Trust him again. It wasn't his fault. Things happened. See, we don't want to pray in presumption. Sometimes it's our own foolishness. We make unwise choices and say, God didn't come through. It's not how it works. And you say, I have so much faith in this. this Look, we're going to open the window and see. It's like, don't be stupid. When you get on a plane, they tell you what to do. They strap in your seatbelts. Obviously, you can't open the windows, you know. But they tell you what to do. There's rules to follow. You can't just do anything and believe God for anything. You have to obey him. This is what the centurion did. He came to Jesus and said, will you heal my servant? And waited. And Jesus said, okay, I'm going to heal him. He said, no, but you don't actually, just say the word, it happened. Jesus said the word, and he went back, his servant was healed. There's, there's things you have to do. There's an obedience. You hear from Jesus, you respond, and you go in faith. You're going to make mistakes, all of us do. I remember once I was in church, I felt God say to me, go tell that, that, that couple that the prayer they've been praying for is going to be answered today. I was like, oh. The, the couple about years ago now, he had this brain condition. And I know they've been praying for this brain condition to go. It was sort of like an epilepsy thing. I, I don't have faith in this God. God said, go tell them that the prayer they've been answered is going to be answered today. So, so, out of obedience, without very little faith, I went to them and said, this is what God has told me to speak to you. And they were like, their eyes lit up, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to get from the faculty of the pastor saying, don't do stupid things like that, Andrew. You're raising hopes for people in, in long-term illness. You haven't got the faith for that. I, was, I knew it was going to ask. It's like picturing the whole thing. I went home that Sunday, and I prayed for hours. <laughs> I said, God, I, I don't want to let them down wrong and they have their faith they get excited and they just fall down saying God never came through sorry but I prayed and I prayed and I prayed I didn't get any answer the next Sunday I went to church thinking flip I kept my head down I didn't want to see them I didn't want to hear anything. they came bounding up to me God, that's my prayer. Our son, who hadn't seen for years, he found up. We can't put God in a box. God tells you to do something. Trust him. It may not be how you expect, but God will come through. Tim Keller, he tells his story. He says, there was two rock climbers, and both of them had to make a leap of faith because they, they got to the end of where they could go, and they had to like jump for it. And one rock climber, he was so he said he saw that hold. He said, "I'm going to make it," and he jumped, and the foothold gave way, and he fell on his rope. The other rock climber sees the foothold. He says, "I don't know if I'm going to make it, but it's all I've got to do." With very little faith in the rock, he jumped, and it held. Not about how much faith you have, the rock is that you put your faith in. If you put your faith in presumption, it can be as strong as anything. I know God's going to heal this person. Well, if God's never said he's going to heal that person, that's presumption. You have all the faith in the world, but it's, the wrong, it's in the wrong object. 
have the most littlest faith in the world, if it's in faith in what God has said, it will hold. The principle is easy to have faith. The outworking is nuanced, tricky. It will take you a lifetime to develop. But as Julia Roberts said, let's, can we at least have a shot at it? We get the chance to cultivate faith that will cause Jesus to marvel one day. We don't have to do it alone. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit. He said, I can give you faith. You know, we, <laughs> we can't do stuff. But God gives us the faith to then get rewarded for having faith. Just ask God, give me faith. The whole Holy Spirit's role is to impress on us the need we have for God, that we can please God, that he will help us. The centurion didn't set out to impress Jesus. He didn't start his day thinking, I'm going to impress this rabbi. He started out saying, I have a need. Will you fill my need, Jesus? You see, as we come to God in our needs, he suddenly gives us faith to then we get rewarded for impressing with our faith that he's given us. We just come with our needs. I have people in my church and jobs. We just pray. Charles Spurgeon says, I have a great need for Christ, but I have a great Christ for my need. It's the essence of faith. You don't go to the bank. You don't go to your relatives. You don't hint about your needs. You go to God, and God meets your needs. Sorry. I want to just pray. Jesus, I thank you that you're a God who meets our needs. The incredible Gentile soldier just comes to you saying, I have a need for this servant of mine who's sick. And you say, okay. Jesus, many people today here have needs for you. I ask you, meet their needs. Will you give every one of us the faith we need to ask you to trust that it's true and to live like it is? Amen. Now, I felt God speak to me to preach on this, and I just want to end off by saying that, to give you a story, I, I grew up with back pain as a kid, and, and it's very unusual, um, as a medical doctor, I can tell you, it's very unusual for a kid back pain. And at the age of 11, I went to this Christian conference, and they had a, prefer, a word of knowledge, three people here with back pain. Two people went forward to the back of the room, and I felt God say, it's you, it's you, you've got to go. So eventually, I sort of walked to the back of the room, sat down with the leader and he, he had the word of knowledge and he said let's pray and my back pain didn't go away but I'd been obedient to God and like what, what's going on years later it was like in my 20s we had Terry Virgo founded the church movement we were part of at the time he comes and he said look I've just had a track record in healing people at back pain if you've got back pain I'd love you just to gather at the end of the meeting come and I want to pray for you very specifically it's back pain and and what he did, he sat down on the floor, they sat on a chair, he just measured their length, their legs, and if they're a different length, he just asked, he said, God, pray that the, the short one will grow. And all my life, I've, my one shoe would wear down more than my other shoe, because practically my legs weren't quite the right length. And I don't know if it's the legs physically grew or not, or it's just releasing some tension in the muscles that allowed them to be the natural length. But I watch my leg grow. And my, my shoes don't wear down on one side more than the other anymore. It was an incredible moment where God physically showed himself to be real to me. And it was an answer to the prayer for decades ago. In response to that, I did, we did, I did a 40-day fast and I failed. I got to 35 days. 
of a Daniel fast and then ate some meat. I just couldn't do anymore. And, <laughs> but even in our, our failure, God honors faith. And th that Sunday, we started a series on praying for healing. And I saw the most incredible healing. This lady had an accident, age 15. She'd fell off a horse. She had been troubled ever since. We prayed, and I'd, I'd seen a few people do that, how their legs become at length. It, just, it was like, just, boom, happen. Pray, happen. This lady, we said, well, let's do the same for you. But instead of just the leg just reaching the same length, her whole body shook. It's like an angel was shaking her, and her leg just reached out. And she was 65 years of, old, of age. She'd been fed, had 40 years of just living with this, Difficulty walking, stage 15. But in that moment, God was faith and brought a dramatic healing. I don't know how healing works. What I know is that one day we're all going to be fully healed. Sometime on earth, we sometimes see healing in response to faith. And I want to cultivate the kind of faith that impresses, makes Jesus marvel. We're going to get it wrong sometimes. We're going to get it right sometimes. We've got a great Savior who's with us and for us. So I want to encourage you today. If you've had mistakes, if you've failed at faith, just keep going. Keep, keep, keep pressing on. We're going, to, we're going to sing in response to our great Savior because he's the one that is worthy. And after the service, if you've got back pain, please come. I want to pray for you. I want to show you a build up some faith in this area. Have faith to see God come through. We'll sit on a chair, we'll measure length, legs, we'll pray with God to make them the right length. Let's, let's sing in response to Jesus.